We're glad you're here this morning. I was just reminded this last week, I was sharing with my wife, um, the night before I gave my heart to Christ and was laying in a bed, eight years of age, in a little town called Trafalgar, Indiana. Anybody know where that is? And I remember looking out at the Indiana sky and I remember just imagining how great, how majestic, how mighty, how glorious our God is. And what a ridiculous performance I had given him thus far in my life. And it was only eight years. But you know what? Eight-year-olds can sin. Amen? If you don't know that, you haven't raised kids yet. So they can sin. And uh, I just remember feeling so small. I, I remember feeling so uh, inadequate before God. And then I remembered the stories that I was told from just as early as I can remember how Jesus loved me. We sang it. They played it. Jesus loves me. This I know. And that, that was a Saturday night. And I can remember the next day, the Lord's Day. And when my father was a pastor, um, when he gave the invitation, I walked forward. And I can just remember just how the, in the heavenlies, I, I just felt the, the release of of guilt and shame and gladness of being able to belong to him and making that personal in my life. And I tell you, there is nothing better in life than having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can have him before you leave this place today. All you need to do is reach out to him. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you love him. Do, do first of all that which causes us to appreciate salvation, and that is to humble ourselves before the Lord. He says that. If you've been reading in Leviticus, you hear the Lord saying that. Humble yourselves before me. I am the Lord. I am holy. You are to be like me. And I am the one who sanctifies you. Sanctify means set apart, holy unto God who loves us. He's jealous for us as we heard. And uh, just reach out to him and he will come into your heart and, and, and he, will, he will save you. He'll, he'll come and reside inside your heart. You won't see him, but you'll know that he's there because he doesn't lie. He said, if, if we will ask him to come into our hearts, he says, many as received him, to them gave he the, them the right, the power, the authority to be called the sons and the daughters of God. And so do that. If you've never done that before, do that before you leave this place. And it's the beginning of a journey. It's not a once and for all and go out and still just keep on keeping on the way we used to be. We, we now have a Savior who lives within us and who sets us free from sin and gives us power to live the life he set us apart to. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful missions team that has stepped out early yesterday morning as I greeted them. Uh, at five o'clock yesterday morning, it was such a joy to see the beam and gleam in, in, um, in their eyes to to want to go abroad and to serve you and to lift up the, the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that they are uh, probably celebrating some kind of a worship service in some way, somehow, with our missionaries there in Mexico and are looking forward to establishing relationships with little children, just like we do here through the ministry of this church. And we pray, God, that you will give them divine opportunities uh, to be able to lift up the name of Jesus to children who perhaps have never heard or those who have heard and who need to be encouraged and strengthened in their walk. Help them all, Lord, to be, um, as we said yesterday in our talk with you, to be free from uh, the opposition of the enemy, uh, uh, protected from that, and empowered by the Holy Spirit 
and protected from physical dangers and bacteria and disease that would try to set them back and ruin their witness and their opportunity to have strength to flow and to to bring them back safely to us with a spring in their step and a song in their heart of what you have done in Mexico for Jesus. And we commit that to you now, Lord, as we open up Philippians and we take a look at your word this morning before we head out into the highways and byways of life to serve you well. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. What if I began this morning by saying something like this? And hopefully you'll see me smiling, okay? And I'm smiling when I say this because you'll wonder. It says, you people sitting out there are an absolute work in progress. Who have a pastor who is an absolute work in progress. Aren't we all a work in progress before the Lord? Amen? Huh? We all are. In fact, as I read God's word, I get the impression from start to finish that God is saying to us, from, from Genesis to Revelation, he is saying that we are such a work in progress, that is the very reason why God needed to send Jesus to help us out. And he did. It has nothing to do really with our value. The fact that we are a work in progress doesn't change anything about our value to God or the incredible love that God has for us. It's not really about that. It all has to do with our brokenness and the world's brokenness. You see, I, I am a broken person standing before you attempting to shepherd a, a wonderful flock uh, in this day, in this, in this age. And guess what? I'll speak to your sin as well. And you are a work in progress. You and I both are a work in progress because of the brokenness that we have in our lives. The Bible becomes really a navigational tool for us. It's sort of like a, a GPS that really is finely tuned. And all of the, chain, the new roads and the new uh, highways and byways, whatever, are all downloaded. You know, if you have a GPS, you know that once in a while, at least the old style, they'll let you update it. And so you plug it into the internet and it'll send you a download and it upgrades all of the new routes all over the country and puts it into your deal so, so that you can navigate. So I, the Bible really becomes a navigational tool to help us live in brokenness all around us while we ourselves are allowing Jesus to reshape us, to, re, to reshape us and massage us into the person that he wants us to be because we were born broken. And you say, well, tell me something I didn't know. But some people maybe haven't thought about that. And sometimes we who already know that and might say, hey, I already knew that, have not thought about it seriously for a little while. And so that's why we come together to be reminded of God's word that we were born in brokenness and everything around us is also broken. And so we need the word of God to help us navigate life with all of this brokenness. And so we see that in the church at Philippi. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4. And we'll read about four verses here in just a moment. But we can see in the church at Philippi, these two really good women who had been a part of the church, we believe. And were they were having a disagreement with each other and it was affecting the unity in the church. Now, I've already spoken to this in the past, so I'm not going to speak about that again, of course. Let me tell you a little story. My brother, my younger brother, who has has gone to be with the Lord now, my brother John, before he died made his living as a mold maker for anchor hawking glassware. 
Anybody got any anchor hawking glassware in your cupboards? Anybody? Okay. So my brother was one of the ones who fashioned the molds that produced uh, many of the, the, the things that you may have in your, in your cupboards. Now what you know and what I know about molds, just common sense, tells us that if the mold has any kind of a flaw in it, then all of the reproductions that come from that mold will carry the mark of that imperfection in it. Amen? That's what happens. If the mold is, is, is flawed, then all of the reproductions are flawed. That glassware, when it would come out and have some flaw in it occasionally, my brother would tell me, he said it went straight to the crusher. All these beautiful pieces that were, 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 were prepared in the factory, and they would have checkers, and if the checkers saw that there was a flaw somehow in that glassware, it would be sent to the crusher, it would be reworked, reheated, and another batch of glass would come out, hopefully without blemish. Once Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning in Genesis, rebelled against God and fell into sin and rebellion, the mold was flawed. Does that make sense? The mold was flawed. No matter how talented any of us are, no matter how well educated any of us become, uh, no matter uh, how personable and sweet personalities that we may have or dynamic personalities... No matter how educated, no matter how experienced we are in life, maybe up into our 70s, 80s, and maybe some of us, our 90s who are here, we are still flawed. Now, I, I know you came in here to be encouraged, and I'm telling you about how flawed we all are and how broken everything. And hang on, because we're going to come to a really good place here in just a moment. Each one of us has a different manifestation of brokenness that God wants to help us with over the course of our lives. Every one of us have manifestations of brokenness. And, you know, sometimes we can identify some of those, and sometimes it's a little bit of a mystery. And sometimes, well, I'm not going to talk about picking, picking the flaw out of everybody, but the fact of the matter, some of them are very obvious. Hence, the letter Paul gives the church in Philippi about living with broken people in a broken world. Somehow, something about these two ladies that Paul addresses, there was an element of brokenness in there. And Paul says, don't let that brokenness hurt the church. Don't let that brokenness distort the witness that you need to have in Philippi. Don't let that brokenness mess up your witness in the locker room or on the team or or in your company or, God forbid, in your church. Or in your family, don't let those manifestations of the mold being flawed a little bit, don't let that distort the unity that God wants us to have with each other. Now, at first it sounds pretty dismal. But it isn't really. Not when we have access to the power of Christ in our lives. And that's what I started uh, sharing with you about the power that comes when Christ has been invited into our hearts and our lives. It's not dismal. So Paul tells us, not only is it not dismal, he said, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, it brings joy. In fact, you should rejoice about it. In fact, he said twice, let us rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in this brokenness. Well, let's read it and let's see if we can understand what he's talking about. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Four verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That means if you have Jesus Christ, you can have peace in the midst of all of this brokenness. The brokenness that we each have ourselves and the brokenness in this world that is broken, that needs our help. These four verses, they have so much in them about Christian living that I think what we need to do is let it soak in. Just let this, the power, the truths of these verses soak into our being, our minds, and into our spirit. So the first thing that he says here, and I'm not going to keep you long this morning, but the very first thing, if you'll flow with me, follow with me. The first thing he says is, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That word for gentle in the Greek is the word epiakes, epiakes. That doesn't maybe mean much to you, but it's one of those words in the Greek that defies one single English word to describe the whole subject of epiakes. A close English word, if we were to try to force our way into English and pick a word, some have said it might be something along the lines of gracious. Let your graciousness... Let your gracious spirit be known to all men. One commentator put it this way. What do you mean by gracious? Okay, so you measure yourself. I measure myself as I was working on this. I was measuring myself, my my brokenness, the, the flaw in the mold that made me. I was measuring my witness, my thought processes, my behavior, my speech. I was measuring it by some of these kinds of things that I'm going to read to you. That a commentator has put forth. If you if you don't mind, let me just encourage you: do the same thing. Measure yourself by these words that have to do with graciousness. And I quote: sweet reasonableness, generosity, goodwill, friendliness, magnanimity, charity toward the faults. Of others. Mercy toward the failures of others. Indulgence of the failure of others. Leniency. Big heartedness. Moderation. Forbearance. And gentleness. Unquote. Anybody struggle with any of that stuff? Do you struggle with any of that? Because as I measured myself, I was thinking, oh boy, I got, you know, I can see the mold wasn't perfect on me, that's for sure. Let me give you an illustration. We decided that we were going to take a certain item that we had purchased uh, back to the store. It wasn't, it didn't meet our satisfaction the other day. And so my wife kindly had, had called a store in Kokomo and described the situation. And they said, no problem. We'll be happy for you to bring it back, give you your money back. Well, we ended up not going to Kokomo 
the day that we were returning that, we ended up going to Fort Wayne, where they had a sister store in Fort Wayne. And so when we got up there, I started, you know, what we, what we do quite often. I started to overthink what was going to happen. So I was thinking about, okay, so Kokomo store said yes, but this is Fort Wayne. They don't know anything about what they said at Kokomo. When we get in there, they're going to give me a hard time, and then they're not going to want to give me my money back, and then I'm going to get frustrated, and then I'm going to... And so I chickened out. I did. I chickened out. I did not take the item back to the store in Fort Wayne. I made Cynthia do it. <laughs> I, I didn't make her. I did not make her, but I, I said it was an unfortunate choice of words, but I, I asked her if she would let me off the hook uh, so I didn't have to go in there. And she graciously, did I say graciously, gracious? She graciously agreed and everything worked out just fine and we got our money back. It was no problems at all. Now, why would I even mention that as an illustration? Because I know myself. I know me. I know myself. And when I sense unfairness or when I sense attitudes that are sometimes offensive, uh, I, I, have, I have an ability. See, I got this mold. I, I got this flaw in the mold. And I have this ability to stand firm if you know what I mean. I, I have an ability to do that. Now, I, I can tell you that quality has helped me a lot of times when it came to spiritual issues that I didn't run, that I, I had some backbone and I stood up and, and I dealt with, with things. I, and I'm thankful for that. What's this all about? There's another side of the story. Well, maybe I was going to get to that. No, they, they need to hear this side. Am I going to regret this? No. All right. No, the truth, the truth is he wasn't feeling well that day, <laughs> that morning. And I knew that. And I knew because he wasn't feeling well that I just needed to step in. That is all. Oh, that's a nice way of saying I, I might not have handled myself very well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. What's that? <laughs> no, I just didn't tell you everything. But here's the deal. Yes, I wasn't feeling well, but that's not an excuse for what I know I'm capable of. That's, that was my point. I left that part out, and that's okay for you to share that. Thank you. It's, it's the fuller story. But that quality, you know, it's helped me at times when the devil has shown himself, but it can get in the way of simple day-to-day living with people sometimes like I was just describing, just trying to do just normal commerce at a store. That kind of thing, that kind of potential brokenness can, can cause difficulties. And, and so, you know, if, if, if I had gone in there and, and okay, I wasn't feeling the chipper, and then they started giving me the business, uh, I probably would have pushed back. And, and I, I like to think that I wouldn't have lost my witness, but I, I probably would have pushed back. And, and so someone says, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't behave like that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, develop a habit where you, you, you do that sometimes and you step over the line of what Jesus maybe would want you to be. And I would say to you, I know. I know. I know I need to be careful with that. It's a gift. It's a strength. But it's also a potential, it's potentially problematic 
in terms of the witness that I want to be sharing because he said something about to, he said, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, even the people at the store that didn't want to give me my money back. Amen. See, I know that. And so I think that's why Paul told Yodia and Syntyche, be gracious with each other. Yes, you have two different opinions about something. We don't know what it was. But be gracious with one another. Be gracious with the people that sometimes are broken and, and talk like it and act like it sometimes. And that's why I'm confessing that you know, we all need help at times dealing with the brokenness of our humanity. In this particular case, you know, God's help was to have a spouse who was willing to help me out with that. I didn't even have to be tested. And I'm thankful for that because I wasn't really at my best. But we, we, need, we need God's help uh, to deal with the brokenness from time to time. Now, that means that in our friendships and with our siblings, our brothers and our sisters at home in the family, uh, with our spouses, and especially in the body of Christ, we're reminded to practice gentleness and graciousness and guess what else? He said, we are to let the whole world see that in us. So I conclude as I, as I was thinking about this and measuring myself against this, that that means I need to be consistent in gracious speech, in gracious attitudes, uh, in gracious body language, and in gracious acts. Uh, I don't know how well I always model that. I try to model that as a pastor. I, I'm trying to teach this to our uh, our young men and women who are working with us and who are preparing for leadership. Some of you may hear this from time to time. It's something that we work on. It's it's a part of training strategy about graciousness. And I tell I tell them, and they will tell you that I have spoken this to them. Listen, when you when you have an opportunity to speak, show graciousness. How do you show graciousness? You say, I really appreciate the opportunity to be in the pulpit. I realize somebody else has this charge. His name happens to be Pastor Tim. So it's always an honor to be able to have this opportunity to do this. And I just want to say thanks, Pastor Tim, for the privilege of being able to share from God's word to these people. This is a real privilege. And thank you for making that possible. Now, does that mean... Now, see, somebody's taking that out of, out of, out of uh, context... And say, oh, you want everybody to behold it? No, it's not about that at all. And I don't own this. It's a matter of showing graciousness and appreciation to the people. Modeling graciousness amongst one another for the opportunities that we have to be able to serve the Lord. And right after that, he tells us, he says, get this. It's like these don't, these don't seem like they should go together, but they, but they do. Right after that, he says, be gracious. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Now, I think there's a couple ways we could take that. And I think one way, and I don't think this is it. It's just my opinion. Is be gracious because the Lord's near. He's watching you. Which is true. He sees everything. Amen. Here's everything. Right? But I don't think that's really the meaning here. I think that he says... Uh, the Lord is near as an encouragement to be gracious. What does it mean the Lord is near? The word for near in the Greek has a double application. Let me tell you about it. 
It comes from the Greek word engus, E-N-G-U-S, engus, near. And it has a couple of definitions. One is this. Since the, since the beginning of time, when God created everything, that's how whatever year B.C. that is, God knows what it is, all the way to March the 3rd, 2019, that's today, the return of Christ is nearer today than it was yesterday. Everybody got that? We agree with that, all right? Thus the Lord is near. So be encouraged, because when Jesus gets uh, gets here, he's going to set everything all right, everything that's wrong, everything that hurts or bugs us or that's broken. And that's one way to define ingus. But there's a second way, and I think this is the way that Paul really meant it to be. Near can also be interpreted as presence, not presence under the Christmas tree. Presence as in, you're present this morning, I'm present this morning. That means that Jesus is with us always and never leaves us. So remember, when we are tempted not to be gracious, that we have the nearness of Jesus at our fingertips for help to be more gracious. So ask him for help because he's near. He's nearby. Hey, you got my back on this? Can you help me with this? I'm fixing to get mad and throw, throw a fit. And I, I, I know you don't want me to do that. Even if I'm right, I know you don't want me to behave that way. But I'm fixing to do it because I'm broken and it's a bad day. And I'm not sure I can pull that off. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you to take, take the wheel. Jesus, would you, you're near. Because you're near. You're an ever-present help in time of need. So we can appeal to Jesus. And I believe we have this tendency in life that when we become perplexed about something, and I use the taking of something back to a store as something that might perplex us, but put your own scenario in there. The things that perplex you the most about something Maybe as simple as not getting your way about something. Or maybe some greater magnitude, like negotiations with North Korea, and it's not going your way. How are we supposed to be? And he says, be gracious. Doesn't mean that you have to be wimpy. And it doesn't mean that you have to bite somebody's head off to stand firm. Be gracious in your standing firm. Because we could lose our gracious demeanor. I think that in our brokenness, we have a default that seems to kick in when life gets really tough. It's just, it's just a default that we can, we, you know, it's just so we don't get shoved around and taken advantage of in life. I was reminded of the Portland Trailblazers, the basketball team. They were caught in an elevator for 30 minutes. Anybody see that? Portland Trailblazers, many of the basketball team, caught in an elevator for 30 minutes. Now, Cynthia and I have experienced that on our way to China one time years ago. We got caught in a, it was a, five-star hotel, and we, about 13 or 14 of us got caught in an elevator for the same amount of time. We know what it feels like to be stuck in an elevator for 30 minutes, and that's what happened. So as some were shooting the video, some were laughing, and some were cutting up to pass the time. You saw, some of you saw the video, or the commercial, or on the news. Others were trying to help uh, themselves relax and get their mind off of things till help came. But you could see that there were some other people who were quietly contemplating ideas of claustrophobia, anxiety, suffocating to death, going berserk in front of everyone and embarrassing yourself, 
or even worse, the dreaded elevator drop. You know, if you were to try to take a selfie with one of those guys that was struggling with that anxiety and that frustration and that brokenness, you, you might, one of those guys might have freaked out on you and uh, gotten, you might have gotten a definition of graciousness that would make your hair stand on end. Look at your neighbor to the right right now. Look at your neighbor to the right and say, try to be more gracious with me in the future. Try to be more gracious with me in the future. Now look at your neighbor on the left. Don't say that one. Say this one. I need help to be more gracious with people. Will you remember to pray for me? Say it. Say it. I need help to be more gracious with people. Will you remember to pray for me? (laughs) Jesus, you are near. I told you this would be happy. This would end up good. See, Jesus, you are near. Please help me be more gracious with people. Graciousness, sadly, is a lost art for many people in our culture. I went into the men's room at Von Mauer one day. I know you're picturing that. Don't go too far. Don't overthink that. I went into the men's room at Von Mauer one day, and a young man, he looked to be about 20 years of age, He was in there cleaning one of the stalls. You ever been in a restroom and it was nasty? Don't overthink that one either. You're getting ready to go to lunch. You know what can happen. We all have horror stories. As I was walking out, I felt prompted in the spirit. I reached in my pocket. I grabbed some cash. And I handed it to the young man, and this is what I said to him on my way out. I said, I want you to know that what you do is important, and I appreciate it. That's all I said. I want you to know you're 20 years old, and you're cleaning toilets in Von Mauer. And I want you to know what you do is important, and I appreciate it. Here's a small token of appreciation And he looked at me like I was crazy (laughs) for a second. And then he said, thanks a lot. Trust me, if my hands hadn't been in the toilet, I would have shaken your hand. (laughs) And I said, I understand. Thanks for not doing that. (laughs) You know, it doesn't take much really to show a gracious spirit, does it? In an email or in a text or maybe out in the foyer in the lobby or or out in the parking lot, or at home, or, you know, to a spouse who maybe prepared a beautiful meal, or to a husband who worked hard the past week to take care of the family, or to a friend who you're hanging out with, or a boss, or a co-worker, or whoever it may be, it doesn't take much to show a gracious spirit. So don't let our brokenness throw us off the trail of gracious living. That's how Jesus wants us to, to live life. Graciously, So here are three things. I've already said them, but here are three things in summary that hopefully when you go home, you can say, well, now, what was that sermon about it? You know, I'm not sure I got anything out of that sermon. All right, here they are. One, we're all broken. Admit it. It's called humility. Number two, Jesus is available for help. He's near. Number three, 
Graciousness is becoming of Christians. It's becoming. It's how He wants us to be. I titled the message, Up to Me or Up to God. (laughs) So uh, there's more to that, and I don't have time to develop it all. Up to me or up to God. If it's left up to me um, or up to you, it, it might not come out so graciously sometimes. Amen? So we need His help when we need to ask Him for it. And when we don't do it, we need to confess it, that we didn't handle it very well. And for those of us who have been on the brunt end of that lack of graciousness, we need to be willing to forgive that brokenness and not hold it against one another. That, my friends, is part of the message this morning. The rest of the message happens next week, the Lord willing. Aren't you glad I cut it in half today, huh? As the snow is trickling down out there. It's not heavy, but there's a little bit coming down out there. And we'll be talking about the rest of the message next week, the Lord willing, because he said for us to say that, the Lord willing, if we're all here next week. And we're going to be talking about um, another tough one called anxiety. Anybody ever feel anxiety and feel just tormented by anxiety and wondering how do we deal? Anxiety is, you know what anxiety is? It's a graciousness killer. Because when you start getting hyped up and, and, and upset and, and uh, you know, your anxiety and worrisome is tweaked to a high level, and that sometimes is what removes graciousness. And so it's a, it's a graciousness killer. But let me give you a little bit of a teaser before we wrap up and, and go home. We already read this part of it, but let me let it be the, the foundation, and then I'm going to take us to two other scriptures real quickly. He says, be anxious for nothing. So, boy, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. But he says, be, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. He's near. Let your Ask him. Ask him for help. You know, the times when I lose my graciousness, I'm pretty sure I didn't ask him for help. I, it's, like, it's up to me or is it up to God? If it's up to me, I blow it a lot of times. So I'm needing to learn to put a discipline, a habit in my life that when I start to feel that, you know, you can feel it rising. You know, frustration and little aggravation and all that sort. You can feel it kind of starting to well up inside. And that's the time to say, oh, no, no, I'm Jesus, I need your help. I need your help. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And for those of you who don't have Christ in your heart, that peace only comes through a relationship with Jesus. And so you need to call upon him today. Now, let me give you the other two verses. One is in Matthew 6.34, if you're taking notes. This is Jesus talking here. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then over in First Peter Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, listen to what he says. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on him. There are times when the cares of this world, the brokenness of others, They come into our lives, and sometimes with tremendous force. Sometimes when it rains, it pours. I thought about this missions team that we tried to send out yesterday, and we thankfully got them out. 
But we had we had one individual that did not get their passport till a two or three days right before they were to leave. We had trouble with it. Uh, we we had uh, they ordered special T-shirts so they could be recognized and see what find one another and whatever. And those didn't come in. In fact, we found out they weren't even ordered. One of the and it wasn't our people's fault. And one of our team members, Carolyn Lewis, her husband, stumbled, fell, broke ribs, and had to be taken to the hospital. And they ran some tests, and for whatever reason, they didn't even read the test results and get it back to to the people until late in the day. And they ended up at the last minute having to run him all the way to Fort Wayne. And, And she's trying to make a decision, can I go on this trip? Can I leave my husband? He's got broken ribs. He's got this, that, and the other. And a, and a host of other things. that and a Sickness on the part of the team leader. And, and just trying to get the money together. Some of them were a little short and all that sort of thing. And it's like when it rains, sometimes when it rains, it pours. There's just a lot of brokenness that happens. And, you know, thanks be to God that we have a church family. Thanks be to God that we have some people that reach into people's lives. And so so Carolyn decided to, to go ahead and go on the trip because there were people here in the life of this church that are looking in on her husband and making sure that food comes in and making sure that there's there's care and we're looking after so so that ministry could could take place. But sometimes when it rains it just pours and you think, Are we gonna be able to do this trip? Are we gonna be able to have a successful school year? Are we going to be able to have uh, something reasonable to say uh, to some of the people who come in for counseling over across the way? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Brian, one of our counselors over at the counseling center, has said what I have felt many times in my own life and ministry and people sitting across the desk from me and sharing their problems and, and wanting me to offer some help. And I am secretly praying, God. Have mercy, not on their soul, on my soul. I don't know what to tell them. This is like huge. And I I haven't got a clue right now as I'm sitting here what I'm supposed to say to try to help the situation. And then I'm reminded today, but Jesus is near. Jesus is near. And I find myself, while they're going on with their story, and I'm secretly saying, God, have mercy on me. You've got to give me something here. So is is it up to me or is it up to God? Well, I need it to be up to God most of the time. Amen. Every once in a while, he lets me just come up with something when I forget to ask him and it works out. But it works out. And I think, thank you, Jesus. But, but we need his help. Sometimes when it rains, it pours and we need to say, Jesus, I need your help. We're going to learn some ways that we can understand better what it means to cast our cares and our anxieties upon Jesus and how to do that. But in closing this morning, I just want to work hard at developing a culture of graciousness in my life. And I I want you to be able to look to me and my wife, to every person on our staff, to every board member and every leader in the life of this church, to our administrators in the school, and our leaders in the counseling center, and all of our folks that are doing anything in leadership in this place, that we are committed to developing a culture of graciousness. And it's not easy some days. Amen? But Jesus is near. 
And he says, let's call upon him and let's rest in him. We're all broken. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus is near for help. Amen? Amen. And graciousness is the mark of a mature Christian. Amen? So, Lord, thank you so much for your word of truth today. And we ask you, God, to penetrate our lives. Some of us, are, um, our DNA, we're kind of, we come out of the womb uh, a little more easygoing than maybe some others. But we still need your help to be gracious. And some of us came out of the womb and we're kind of leader-oriented and we're control freaks and we don't uh, have a problem speaking our mind and standing up uh, for what we think is right. And uh, God bless those folks, but help us not to overstep. God, help us never to have a reputation that tarnishes your character. Help us in the hard places. It's hard in a marriage to forgive and be gracious sometimes. It's hard when friends disappoint us or we find out they said something behind our back to be gracious. It's hard when we sit in a committee meeting and we have different ideas about how to get from A to B and B to C. It's hard sometimes to knuckle under and do what the boss said to do at work when it makes no sense to us. It's hard to stay gracious in this culture. And it's really hard, Father, sometimes when we see what's coming through the news these days. It's hard in our country to feel gracious for some of the ways people behave and some of the evil things that people are doing to one another and man's inhumanity to man. And so for our lack of graciousness, we ask your forgiveness because Jesus died for us. And help us to be reminded day by day that you are near Jesus. And that if we'll just ask you for help, you'll do it. You'll do it. You're there for us. And so help us to be a people of graciousness and gentleness. Help our witness to be what you want it to be. And Lord, for those who have never reached out to Jesus and asked him to be their personal Savior, help him to just look to you right now and say, that, that, that concept of, of praying, whatever that means, to ask Jesus to come into our life, I, I, I don't understand what that would feel like. I don't understand how that could happen. But your word of truth says that if we would invite you, you would come into our hearts and that you would save us from our sins. And so let it begin today for somebody, today, somebody listening over the internet. Let it begin today that somebody reached out to Jesus and asked him to be their savior and began a wonderful lifelong journey of serving him because we need your help. You're altogether lovely. We praise your name and all of God's people said together, amen and praise the Lord.